You're listening to Next Gen Dem, a podcast where you will hear from the young progressives who are shaping the future of the Democratic Party. I'm Max Warren, and you can join me every other week to meet the next generation of liberal leaders, hear about the causes that matter to them, and learn how you can get involved too. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 11 of Next Gen Dem. The country may be falling apart before our very eyes, but I hope you're having a great summer at least. Uh, my guest on this episode is incredibly impressive. His name is Ken Harbaugh, and he's running for Congress in Ohio's 7th District, which is deep, deep red. He has an interesting background, Yale Law, former Navy pilot, and president and COO of an organization called Team Rubicon Global which provides veterans around the world with opportunities to serve others in the wake of disasters. Ken and I discuss a number of things on this episode, including how he feels his military service has made him uniquely qualified to bridge the divide in politics, what the current perception of Trump is among veterans, and how he balances being a parent with his pursuit of elected office. I hope you'll enjoy the episode. Hey, Ken, thank you so much for joining uh, Next Gen Dem all the way from uh, from Ohio. Great to be here, Max. Thanks. Uh, Ken Harbaugh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, are you related to uh, Jim and, and John Harbaugh <laughs> or, or no? Uh, no, no. Uh, and thank goodness, because as you, I'm sure, know, they, they coach our arch rival football team. Um, I think we're going to get a bumper sticker that says, Ken, not Jim. Um, just so everyone's clear. Yeah, a little sacrilegious to be a Harbaugh if you're exactly. if you're an Ohio State family these days. <laughs> right. Um, well, Ken, you're you're running for um, Congress uh, in Ohio, the seventh district. Um, That's right. And uh, you know, your first time throwing your hat in the ring. It's exciting. Um, you know, I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about your upbringing. I know you come from an Air Force family. Uh, you decided to join the Navy. Can you tell me a bit about sort of where you're coming from and and how that sort of shaped your views and and, and, and sort of pushed you into the ring? Yeah, of course. Um, I grew up, as you said, in a military family. I actually was born just outside an Air Force base. Um, and my dad was a, an Air Force pilot. My, my granddad was a B-17 pilot in, in World War II. And what that meant for me growing up was that we bounced around a lot. I never lived in one place more than a couple of years uh, and then when I when I had the chance, when it was my turn, I joined the, the U.S. Navy, uh, mostly because I wanted to serve, partly because I, I thought it would be, a, you know, a, a good way to rebel against the Air Force family. I was actually kind of tweaked when my uh, when my dad put his arm around me when I got my Navy wings and said he was proud of me. Um, but, you know, there's always been that friendly rivalry between Air Force pilots and uh, and Navy pilots. Uh, but to, to your question about how it informed my, my attitude on service, um, I, it wasn't something that, that I was really consciously aware of, honestly, until I got out of the Navy and until I realized that, you know, service above self and country before party, which is sort of, uh, it's an unspoken mantra in the military, just part of our DNA, is not as as common as I thought it would be when I got out, and it's certainly not as common as you'd expect it to be among our public servants, our so-called public servants in 
in D.C. I'm talking about the representatives that, that we send. I think way too many of them do not put country before party and, and service before self. And the the decision point for me or, or the decision process really began um, during the 2016 election cycle and seeing just how fractious politics had become and just how divisive the tone of our politics had become and realizing that unless I stepped into the arena, unless others like me who, who had that, um, that, that vision of a politics that put country first and service above self, then we'd just get more of the same. And, and that's why I got into it. It's so interesting because I think as a, you know, as a, you know, are you actually, are you still active duty or are you technically? No, no, I got out, um, in 2008, as a matter of fact, and it was honestly the toughest professional decision of my life. Well, I, I'll back up the second toughest professional decision of my life. And if you ask me in a minute, I'll tell you what the toughest one was, but I had a two week old daughter and I had, had done nine years in the Navy and was, it was, it was my turn to, to rotate onto my, my sea tour and better, better people than I have done it and have gone back out to sea with a family at home. But I decided to go back to school and, and be a dad and continue my education. And what I, what I chose to do at that point was learn about the law because I, I honestly had uh, a real desire to understand how, um, how politics could and, and should work. I, I I had seen on the front lines what happens when it doesn't, when people a thousand miles away or two thousand miles away are making decisions about what's going on on the front lines with either no appreciation for the stakes of those decisions or um, I'm beginning to believe uh, a lack of concern for the ramifications of those decisions. And so I went back to, to law school and, um, and, uh, and that was my transition out of the Navy. I, I had another question that I will ask, but I have to ask the follow-up. I mean, what was the toughest decision you've ever made? <laughs> the the toughest decision was leaving the organization I've been leading, Team Rubicon, until a month ago I was president of Team Rubicon Global, which is a disaster relief organization that has helped retrain tens of thousands of military vets to deploy into disaster zones. And at, at Team Rubicon, we have tapped into the ideal talent pool for disaster relief, which are these men and women coming back from the longest wars in our nation's history. Um, but they come back from those, those conflicts, those battlefields, with a wealth of experience, a wealth of expertise that if we can retrain them, we can reapply it. We can leverage those skills for, for good and send them around the world and uh, across the country to help people on the worst days of their lives in the aftermath of a disaster. I absolutely loved that job because it, it challenged just about every, uh, every aspect of who I am. Um, and it also allowed me, which is incredibly rare um, for for someone like me to stay in the field, to be able to deploy to the Philippines after a typhoon or a refugee camp for Iraqis and Syrians displaced by ISIS. 
Um, I late last year um, carried a, a backpack full of medical supplies into one of these refugee camps, and in it was what I assumed was just a you know an ordinary routine piece of equipment. It was a portable uh, ultrasound wand, and as soon as I got into this camp and began unpacking. One of the um, OBGYN nurses saw it, and she literally fell to her knees um, and, and hugged me and said, you may have just saved a life because they had a, a mother uh, who, was, um, who was pregnant, and it was a complicated pregnancy, uh, and they had no idea um, how to evaluate it without, um, without an ultrasound. So I got to do some pretty cool stuff in that job, but upon realizing that or, or, or answering this call to serve my country in another way as a candidate for Congress, I had to make a decision um, because the, the fact is you, you really can't do both. Running for Congress is a full-time job. It's more than a full-time job. Um, just ask me what my day was like today. It's way more than a full-time job. And I would be letting Team Rubicon down if I tried to do both. So I made the very tough decision to step away. What, what's great about I know a little bit about the organization. I mean, what's great is, I mean, it's functional and it, it, it's, it's logical and it's sort of a approach and, and, and leveraging sort of this military expertise. But what's great about it is a lot of people, I think, coming home uh, are, are searching for uh, purpose, the purpose they had, you know, serving their country overseas. And this is a really concrete purpose. And so it's really wonderful. And I, you know, obviously, I applaud you for um, throwing your hat into the into the arena, as we say, to run for office, but also, uh, you know, for serving our country and then and then helping to lead this organization it's just it's fantastic well thanks yeah and i mean the 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 credit's not mine it's it's to the tens of thousands of gray shirts out there who are on the on the front lines um they inspired me every day i was on the job so you you talked a little bit about you know your decision to to, to run for office and you know uh, there are a million offices there are a million positions out there right like you could run yep. for your local city council you could run for uh, you know state legislature Congress that's a big thing uh, that's you know that's that's uh, that's that's no small task uh, especially your first time why start there why not start um, you know something uh, I don't want to say smaller but something maybe that's that's uh, you know maybe the outside outsiders review is a little more achievable yeah sure um, I I guess not to, to be too melodramatic but I, I I think sometimes you have to run to the sound of gunfire and Congress <clears throat> is the uh, the the most broken political institution in our country. <clears throat> Local politics isn't nearly as dysfunctional as uh, Washington politics. And when I when I observed what was going on at the congressional level and the presidential level in 2016, I was drawn to it in in a way that made me want to help fix it. Be one of those representatives who truly listened to constituents instead of <clears throat> refusing to hold town halls as our current representative refuses to do. Um, one of those representatives who was willing to reach across the aisle and acknowledge that neither party has a monopoly on good ideas and, and you know, by the same token, one party isn't, um, isn't full of just bad ideas. 
um, Washington has just become such a, uh, a, a fractious place that I was drawn into the fight as, um, as a way to help begin to solve it. And I wonder, you know, obviously your, your, your background in service and in the military is, is clearly core to who you are. You know, is, this, is there something about, you know, your service and what you learn from, from being on the front lines that, that, you know, you think might enable you to, to really make an impact uh, and cut through the, the discord in Washington? Or, or you know, because some people just say it's too broken, it's never going to be fixed. Yeah, and it's really not that that complicated. I mean, when I when I talk to to ordinary Ohioans, they they talk about the problems that we're facing as as checkers, not not chess. I mean, this is this is um, if we if we can come together and admit that both sides in some areas have uh, have good ideas, we can tackle some of our toughest challenges. When I was an aircraft commander say, flying a mission off of North Korea. I lost a mission on, uh, lost an engine <clears throat> during one of those missions. And I don't remember turning to my co-pilot and asking or wondering, you know, is this guy a Democrat or a Republican? Or checking my flight engineer's political pedigree and asking, is this guy a, a progressive or a conservative? I remember working together as a team and getting that plane down safely and, um, and making sure everyone got home. Uh, I, I think most Americans think that way. They are Americans first, and in the case of Ohio, Ohio and second, and then somewhere really far down the list, either a Republican or a Democrat, but increasingly neither. They're, they're Americans. They're Ohioans, and they just want representatives who really will put country before party and service above self. And I, I'm, I'm beginning to, to feel that they see that in a veteran candidate, meaning a candidate who's, who's a military veteran and has a, a record of service. I mean, that, as I said before, is, is in our DNA. I don't have to make much of a case as a former Navy pilot, that I'm able to put service to others above service to myself. And I think, you know, I would love to hear a little bit about your race. I mean, can you can you give us a sense of, uh, you know, I know you talked about the, the incumbent you're running against, but can, but can you give us a little bit of sense of, of the dynamics of the race as it's taking shape? And, and really, what are some of the biggest issues facing uh, your district? What, what are you hearing from people? So uh, in, in order of... Um, of your your questions, the race. I, I'm under no illusions that this is going to be a cakewalk. It's going to be tough because it is a district that that went heavily for for Donald Trump. But I feel like I have a, a sense for why. My parents voted for Donald Trump. Most of my neighbors did. I understand the frustration, and I I feel like I can speak to it. For the most part, it was uh, a in some ways a cry for help. It was a vote against the establishment. It was a vote against politics as usual. And I get it. Politics as usual is, is broken. It's not addressing the real problems of real Ohioans. And to the second half of your question, those problems include a complete lack of confidence in Washington when it comes to things like health care. 
And I, I, this, this one's really personal for me. When my middle daughter was born, she needed four surgeries before she turned four years old. We were one of those families that was looking down the barrel of that gun. We had no way to pay for that first surgery. Thank goodness I got a, a job with a great Ohio firm and they took care of us. But there are a lot of Ohio families who are not that lucky. And then you look at the, the scourge right now of the opioid epi epidemic and the complete lack of awareness or, or compassion or logic around the, the current approach to it. When you have our, um, our representative voting to gut funding for treatment programs or rip the rug out from these rural clinics. I mean, this is going to make it worse, much worse. This is the worst public health crisis to have ever hit this state. And we're going to add fuel to the fire. Um, it's, it's just insane. Yeah, these are the issues, um, you know, that people talk about around the dinner table, right? Uh, you know, yeah. these are the issues that that I think Democrats should be focused on, and 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 that that you're focused on. It's not, you know, these are not hyper partisan issues, or at least they they shouldn't be. Uh, if 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 we can sit down and just have a, a logical conversation, we have a crisis, and uh, the the solution is not to uh, to get rid of treatment; it's to figure out how to add more treatment and and you know prevention and that sort of thing. So it makes yeah. perfect sense to me. And you know, I'm curious. You mentioned your parents voted for for Donald Trump, and and, and your neighbors did too. Um, you know, do you get a sense, and, and, and if you don't know, that's fine, but do you get a sense that people are feeling a little bit of buyer's remorse or do they not really care about some of this stuff because it's still, you know, they feel like the system needs to be, needs to be shaken up? Uh, there's, there's a mix. Uh, I think the, the jury is still out. Folks are still uh, waiting to see. Uh, but I, I think the the reality of some of the um, the unmet expectations are gonna gonna sink in, um, and then I I think most of all <clears throat> in the conversations I'm having with folks, people are just worried <clears throat> about the lack of discipline in the White House uh, and the the idea or the the observation. It's not an idea. It's a it's a it's a real thing that you have a president who um, who acts with such impulsiveness sometimes. And I, I think as a, a case in point with, um, with his treatment of classified information uh, and the way this president appears to use <laughs> top secret information as, as kind of a poker chip and, and in a way that, that like he's bragging to his friends, except the poker table happens to be the Oval Office and his friends happen to be, um, you know, the Russian ambassador and, and his entourage. And as somebody who risked my life to collect that kind of top secret information, I find that really worrying. And more to the point. And, and offensive. Somebody, well, yeah, I mean, I, I would go that far, especially when I think about the people still out there whose lives depend on that classified information. That's, that's where I'd go so far as to say it's offensive. When I was 24 years old, I was read into a TSSCI um, program. That is the highest level of security clearance you can get, top secret, sensitive, compartmented intelligence. 
And the oath we swore was to keep that information secret for 75 years. That's how sensitive this stuff is. And to see a president throwing it around to impress his friends, um, it's troubling to me. It's troubling to me. And I think it's troubling to a lot of other vets. Yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, I'm curious. Uh, you know, when when you do talk to veterans or or active duty, I mean, are they are they feeling the same way about sort of the cavalier, um, you know, nature uh, with which you know Trump treats uh, treats intelligence? Um, increasingly, increasingly, and I <clears throat> thankfully the military is still one of the most respected institutions of American government across the political spectrum. And it has done a really fantastic job over uh, generations now of, of staying out of politics and being nonpartisan. Um, so I, I will honor that by, by saying that the active duty folks are uh, very respectful of, of their obligations to stay nonpartisan. But a lot of my veteran buddies are growing increasingly frustrated at um, at what I pointed to earlier, the lack of discipline um, by this commander in chief, uh, the, the different standard that uh, that seems to apply in the Oval Office today. It'll be interesting to see how and whether that uh, develops over time, because uh, obviously, you know, veterans are veterans active duty are, are a, a major uh, voting block. And, you know, I, I don't have data in front of me, but it t- generally tend to be a more conservative one. So it'll be interesting uh, to see to see how how that takes shape as we as we march on with this administration. Uh, God knows yeah. how long they'll be in office <laughs> um, for. So for people considering running for office and, and doing what you're doing, and it, maybe it's not running for Congress, maybe it's running for school board, uh, you know, doesn't matter. Uh, you know, what, what's the piece of advice that you would give them? How, how do they get started? Where, you know, what do they do? What do they have to think about? So as far as getting started, um, I, you know, I, I started by just talking to my, my friends and saying, is this, is this something you'd support me doing? What are your thoughts? I did a heck of a lot of listening. Um, and then for, for those considering running at any level, I would, I would just encourage them to, to make sure that they're, they're doing it for the right reasons, that it's about service above self. And, and in the case of Congress, at least that it's about country before, before party. Um, when I was a brand new ensign in the Navy at at 22, I, swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution. And I, I checked, not to be presumptuous, but I, I checked and, and representatives in Washington swear the same oath. It's not to a party. It's not to a president. It's to the Constitution of the United States. And if you think you can do that, if you can support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, then... I, I think it's something people should should start seriously considering. We need good servant leaders running for office. And 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 you know you did say you have a you have a family, uh, you know, and this is this is obviously tough. You say your days are you know jam packed, and it's even more than a full time job. How how do you how do you do it all with a family? And and does that require you to sort of think twice about this, or does it actually motivate <laughs> you to to, to run? Um, 
Well, I, I, my tongue and cheek answer is you you do it badly. I mean, I, I my my kids sometimes suffer the brunt, but they my twelve year old understands the stakes and and she's proud of of what I'm doing. Um, and the others, well, in the twelve year old as well, we involve as much as possible. Our campaign office is still our dining room table, and we had a full day of meetings today and all day long, you know, the kids are, are coming in and out of those meetings. They had breakfast and lunch at that same table and were, were part of, of those conversations, even if only on the periphery. And for me, at least, I don't know if everyone can do it this way, but for me, at least the only way to pull it off is to make my, my kids and my whole family a part of this, um, of this enterprise, a part of this adventure. Because if it's just me out there doing it on my own, I don't think I could pull it off. And I, I think my my kids would, would feel increasingly uh, distant. But in some ways, this is one of the most rewarding jobs I've ever had from a family perspective because I really am doing it for them and I really do get to involve them in a lot of the day-to-day stuff which is pretty cool not most most jobs don't let you do that that's awesome I'm sure it's going to be an experience they they remember forever and it sounds like they're old enough really to 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 take it all and understand what's going on that's really uh, really special yeah um, so, you know, I like to end, I mean, we could talk forever, but uh, people aren't going to listen to a podcast forever. So yeah. I, I like to end with um, some, you know, what I call sort of the rapid fire round, sure. um, you know, some quick questions, um, uh, you know, and I would just love sort of quick, quick answers from you on, uh, on some of these. So if you're ready, I'll, I'll fire away. I'm ready. All right. So, so we talked about running for office, you know, what's been the most surprising thing uh, about this? Great question. I had been told by others who have, who have run for offices like this that it is going to be a long and lonely slog that you're going to drive for hours at a time and end up meeting with five people. My That was my expectation, and it has been blown away. Uh, the outpouring of support out there in the Ohio 7th has, has been just incredibly humbling. We can barely keep up with the the demands on this campaign for, for us to come out and talk to folks and listen to folks. We did an event in what's a, a pretty conservative town and a pretty conservative county. And before we even got there, they had run out of chairs in the ballroom. And the mayor came up to me afterwards and said, I tried to find parking on the square and I couldn't. And I was trying to figure out what was going on in my town. And then I walked into the ballroom and I realized it's it's you. And in 22 years of running this town, I have never seen this many people come out to hear what a politician had to say, much less a Democrat. So something is going on in Ohio that is surprising everybody. 
Oh, that's uh, <laughs> music to my ears and hopefully my listeners too. That's uh, that's a good sign. Uh, better than better than driving all that way and seeing five people. Yeah. Um, so so let's say you do win and and it sounds like you know you've got some some wind at your back and and it's exciting and and you and you get to Washington uh, day one of the of the next Congress. What's the first thing you know besides moving into your office and setting up a computer? <laughs> right. What's the first thing you plan to do when you get there? Well, I'm I'm going to keep listening. Of course, I, I really believe that a, an election is part of a conversation and not the end of a conversation. Um, but I had a I had a, a, a voter suggest to me what I think is a really clever uh, but but meaningful um, suggestion for a piece of legislation. Uh, and I, it's, it's, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but I, I like the sentiment. She said, why don't you propose a rule that everyone in the house of representatives has to sit alphabetically, knock off this silly tradition of people sitting on separate sides, get rid of this whole notion of reaching across the aisle and force people to sit together. I mean, when I taught and when my wife taught, if you had you know, a, a, a group of problem students, which we have in Washington today, you make a seating chart and you say, all right, we're going to sort this out. We're going to force people to, um, to get along. And I just love the idea of uh, forcing congressmen to sit in alphabetical order. I like the idea of comparing them to school children. <laughs> but, um, another idea is, is maybe make everybody, uh, you know, once a week uh, uh, have lunch together and, <laughs> and set up uh, and set up assigned lunch tables or recess groups or something. Yeah, that's I love it. Yeah. Um, you know, you've been obviously, you know, making the rounds and, and meeting a lot of people in the Democratic Party. Uh, yeah. and, and you've, I'm sure, been been looking out there for, for inspiration. You know, who are some of the uh, rising stars um, that you really admire and, 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 are, and are looking towards to, to inspire your, uh, <clears throat> your campaign? Well, Seth has been an incredible mentor um, to to me, uh, and Seth. he's Seth Moulton. I'm so sorry, Seth Moulton, and he's one of he's a he's a Marine uh, who did multiple tours in Iraq. He won a seat in in New England and uh, has paid it forward. He's reaching out to other veterans and showing us the ropes, uh, and I think has really taken to heart this, this notion of servant leadership. And I think the most striking thing about that, or one of the most striking things, is that he's reaching out to, uh, not just to Democrats, but he, he sees the larger problem, which is a lack of civility. And he wants to bring folks into, into DC who have proven that they're able to put their, their country first. And by that, I mean vets. I think Seth is one of those who would rather have someone he can work with across the aisle than a body holding a seat that just toes the, um, you know, toes the party line or, or has never had an original thought. Uh, I've heard a lot about Seth Moulton, and he sounds like a, yeah. a really great guy. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll get him on the on the podcast. Uh, you know, before the end of the year, would be, uh, he'd be a great <laughs> yeah. guest too. Um, okay, I, I, you know, one last one, and then I'll and then I'll let you go. Sure. Um, you know, what's the best piece of political advice uh, you re- you've ever received? So, you know, what's the most sage thing anybody's uh, told you? Well, this is going to sound funny after 
talking for what half an hour, but I think one of the best pieces of political advice I've gotten so far is to stop talking. Hmm. Stop. stop talking and just listen. Listen to what the voters are really saying. Stop trying to convince them all the time and learn. It makes perfect sense to me, and 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 I've definitely enjoyed listening to you and 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 chatting with you, and I and I hope uh, I hope all my listeners have as well. Uh, Ken, this has been great. Uh, best of luck. I think you you've got a you got a great thing here, and I and I love hearing about the momentum, and I think we need more people like you in Congress. So uh, thanks for thanks for uh, thanks for running, and thanks for everything. Well, thanks for having me, Max. It's been great. Well, that's it for episode eleven. I hope you enjoyed hearing Ken's perspective as much as I did. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at, at, at Max Warren and at NextGenDemPod, and all episodes are available on my website. That's NextGenDem.com. I'll see you in a couple of weeks, and I actually have a really great episode in store, so you're not going to want to miss it. <laughs>